Previously on the world's greatest podcast, your intrepid heroes were faced with new and daring possibilities. Mike was left wondering about the true nature of video calling. Because I know what you're thinking of, right? If we just say, like, interesting times, we'll call it. Stephen decides to return to the more primitive times of the iMac G3. I'm not super convinced that I want robots in my chat to go do things for me. And Federico dropped a bombshell of epic proportions. I bought an Android phone. <laughs> what will your terrific trio of transatlantic technologists do next? There's only one way to find out. <laughs> From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode number 92. Today's show is brought to you very kindly by the lovely folk over at Casper. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Federico Vitici. Hello, Federico. Hello, Mike. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, Mike. I'm doing good. Just the two of us today. Yes, correct. Um, As the intro was pointed out, Stephen has uh, delved into a world of just old computers now i think he's somewhere in memphis trying to get a land party going with about 13 imax something like that it doesn't have skype anymore no it That's doesn't have skype because uh, i don't think it runs on whatever i don't even know what those things run on i think they used to run os 10 so maybe there is some kind of weird old version of skype that you can get um but yeah steven is away this week um he's probably looking after his family of imax so it's just me and you but we have mm-hmm. a huge topic to talk about this week. We're actually going to mm-hmm. devote the entire show to it, I think, mm-hmm. because you have yes. many thoughts. We left last week's episode on a huge cliffhanger, so it's mm-hmm. only fair that we jump right into talking about Android. Okay. I feel like some people are going to get a little bit upset, right? Because here we are yeah. on our Apple mm-hmm. show talking about Android. So I do want to talk about this for just one second, if you will permit me. Um, sure. We are in the end of May, beginning of June right now, three weeks away from WWDC. There is little Apple news going on right now. There's some rumor stuff. There was a MacBook Pro rumor today, which we might talk about next time. But we are in a time, I think, where it is, I think, quite useful to take a look at what is going on in the world outside of Apple, because it will allow us to, as we ramp up to the most important announcements of the year, right, at WWDC, it will allow us to to kind of evaluate those with a more clearer mind, I think. And so I think it's important to take a look at this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, it's an even bigger uh, effort, maybe, in that uh, I've always tried uh, to fight against uh, preconceptions. I, I don't like having... Uh, ideas and not trying to fight against those ideas and trying to see, you know, the world outside of my point of view. And I try to do that in my personal life. Um, that that's the reason why I, <laughs> I'm terrible at discussing politics with with my family and my friends, just because I'm always challenging what I think. And I try to do that in my professional life. Um, but I feel like in the past few years, I have. Uh, you know, I've, I haven't tried my best to follow that principle of not, you know, uh, being victim of my own preconceptions and my own uh, opinions based on nothing, effectively. So I talk about Apple, I write about Apple, uh, but I think what I, what I actually do is I, I write about technology that I use. And so much of that 
technology is actually not just from Apple, but from different companies. And so I was practicing the principle that I don't like preconceptions, but I wasn't really following that idea because I never tried the other major platform that billions of other people use, which is Android. I use Google services and I use Google apps and I've gone back and forth. I mean, if you listened, if you used to listen to the prompt, which is the show before this one and to the beginning of Connected, you, you have seen my opinion on Google services and Google as a company change over time. And I think that's good. You know, it's good to change. Uh, it's good to have opinions and it's good to have strong opinions, but it's also good to, to have them loosely held, you know, to be able to, to challenge your ideas, to challenge your preconceptions and to, and the most important thing for me, to actually know what you're talking about. And I feel like I myself, I was not following that idea. So I was saying to myself, yeah, I like to challenge preconceptions, but I wasn't really, I wasn't really doing that. So I was thinking about this uh, way, way before Google I.O. and trying Google services, comparing, you know, what Google is doing to what Apple is doing with, with Siri and other features in iOS. And of course, every year I take a look at iOS and I come up with this idea of, you know, wishes and features that I would like to see on iOS next year or, you know, in the next version. Um, but I wasn't really paying attention to what was going on outside of Apple. And I think that's, I don't think that that's, a, that's good for me. And, and so I was thinking about this and then Google I.O. came up and then I went on Amazon and I saw a Nexus 5X, uh, which is made by LG. Uh, there was a pretty good discount, like uh, like a couple of hundred euros, and it was <laughs> it was just a spur of the moment thing. In that, you know, you were asking me, weren't you, if you thought that uh, if I thought that you should buy it, and I strongly encouraged you to buy it because I think that my opinions on these types of things can be more level than many others because I take time to play around with Android seriously and mm-hmm. to see what it's about see what's going on there and try and get a better feel for the other side and i think i genuinely think that that my views can be a little bit fairer because of that fact that i treat it seriously and respect android i really don't like um, when I, when i see people who write about apple who podcast about apple who take some things about Android for granted and they, they talk because they have heard things or they've seen videos a few years ago and they've never bothered to try Android. And I was one of those people and I didn't want to be one of those people anymore. And I thought the best way for me to form an opinion, to actually know what I'm talking about and to see what is going on outside of iOS, I think it would be good for me to actually try Android and to buy an Android device and see what's going on there. And... You know, um, I agree with you. And uh, for a long time, I struggled to to sort of accept this, um, that to have a better opinion of Apple and iOS and what they're doing. It can be healthy to explore other things, to be curious and to be knowledgeable about other stuff, you know? And when I, when I revealed on Connected last week that I switched to Android, uh, you know, by switched, I mean, I just bought an Android phone and I'm playing around <laughs> with things. I got so many people on Twitter saying, oh my God, Federico switching to Android. Uh, are you stop you going to stop using iOS? I follow you because of iOS. I read Mac stories because you, you've read about Apple. And um, I just want to say up front that I'm not going to switch to Android. It was just, 
And this can be tricky to accept. It was just a way to know more and to know better and to have a first-hand experience with another platform. Because let's be fair, at this point, every year, Google and Apple borrow things from each other. You know, Apple does some things, Google does the same things later, Google does a few things, and Apple gets inspired maybe by Android and does the same features. We're now at the point in, in, in the mobile OS sort of ecosystem where there's two major players and there's only so many ideas you can come up with. So, of course, there's going to be some contamination, if you will, of ideas between the two companies. And, and I feel like uh, it's been a few days that I've been using this Android phone and I think it's been eye-opening for me to kind of look at look at a smartphone with a different perspective with a with a fresh set of eyes you mm-hmm. know with a mm-hmm. with a different point of view i think that's been a uh, i think it's been a good experiment so far all right so let's talk about the hardware a little bit right and then so we can i took maybe a few talk- notes <laughs> i'm sure that you did and i can see lots of these notes in front of me so you mentioned you got the 5x um, mm-hmm. What do you think of the overall phone hardware? And especially, what do you think about the placement of the fingerprint sensor on the back? So the phone is very light because it's made of plastic. Um, I think it feels kind of cheap, honestly. Yeah, it um, is the budget one, though. There is, is a, the there is one, a nice so one. There is like a fancy one, which I have, which is the uh, 6P, which is fantastic to look at and mm-hmm. feel. And it's made from great materials, etc., etc. I got the cheap one, so I'm not surprised that it feels kind of cheap. You know, when you plug in the headphone jack, you kind of have to jam it in <laughs> uh, because you, you have to hear a click, and uh, it doesn't really feel premium. But I'm not surprised because I didn't get the premium option, so I got what I what I paid for. Um, the fingerprint sensor. Now, I understand why for a lot of people that's preferable to the front-facing button with a, with a sensor. I really don't like it for myself. And okay. not just because of habit, not just because of habit, because initially I thought, okay, I'm just not used to this. But I think it's a problem with the size of my hands, <laughs> the way that I wrap around the phone with my with my index finger. Uh, basically, I have two, uh, my hands are too big, and so I kind of have to make a weird motion with my hand to, to reach the fingerprint sensor. And it's not as accurate as the as the one on the, on the Touch ID on the 6S. Yeah, accuracy so I, is not really, you know, like, I mean, yeah. whatever. But I was just more interested in what you thought about the placement. I understand what you mean, because I also have big hands. But I have to say, though, I do really, really prefer the placement because for me more often than not with the way that i hold my phone it's easier for me to get my finger to the back than my thumb to the front mm, i see yeah and uh, i'm like the opposite okay and not just from a physical standpoint but also from a from a, a if you will visual point of view i think having the touch id at the bottom helps helps me um understand what's top and what's bottom on the on the iPhone with this android phone the top side and the and the bottom side they look similar so too many times i've picked up the phone in the wrong orientation because there's no uh area which tells me okay this is the bottom same with the Siri remote for me same issue i pick it up in the wrong orientation all the time and i've noticed that i'm doing the same with the 5x because there's no anchor point if you know to tell me okay this is the bottom pick it up this way um and it's interesting for me to think about if Apple ever ditches the the home button with the with the sensor, and if maybe Touch ID becomes part of the entire screen, and there's no top and bottom 
bezel anymore, clearly distincted as they are on the iPhone 6s. What's going to happen to my visual, uh, you know? Well, my hope would be that if they removed all kind of buttons or whatever, that they might just do what they do with the iPad, which it doesn't matter which orientation you pick it up in. Yeah, I guess, I guess. I mean, I'm sure that the, the wait, sleep-wake button will still exist, which might help you, but I hope that they, you know, if, if they go that route and they go like the, the route that John Gruber spoke about on the talk show a couple of weeks ago, right, which is just 100% screen, like in a couple of years, um, mm-hmm. I hope that they do the kind of any orientation because at that point, what, what, why do you need it to be one way or the other? So we'll see. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, that could explain the rumor of uh, the iPhone 7 getting four speakers because it doesn't matter the orientation. You know, I don't know. We'll see. That's just a rumor at this point. All um, right, so let's talk about uh, the Android stuff and some of the setup and stuff. Mm-hmm. How did that go for you? So I set it up. The first thing you see is this cute animation of uh, colored dots um, moving around and mm-hmm. morphing into the Google logo, which yeah, is Yeah, that was part of the new logo. Extremely cute. It's in the Google Home thing, right? Like they have the four colored LEDs. Like that is the new kind of when they when they announced the new logo, one of the things that came with it was this like animation. This like dot animation. It's in Google now, like it's it's all over the place now. And you know, you mentioned the cuteness here. This is, you know, we may disagree on this fundamentally, but I think that this this type of cuteness and this playfulness uh, is throughout material design, not necessarily throughout all of Android, because not every Android app kind of goes with material design yet. But this is part of the whimsy that I think that material design has that Apple's current state of design doesn't have anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. That is, yeah, I've mentioned this on the show before. Uh, that is a, a feeling that I have. Do you agree or disagree with the whimsy? In in places, I would say in places, I do see the whimsy, like especially in apps that have uh, been updated with the material design. Yeah, it, it really is core to material design. If it's if, if yeah, an app doesn't yeah. have material design kind of built into it, then it doesn't have Looks that ugly. <laughs> yeah, and it, yeah, I agree, it's mostly ugly. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the first thing I see is this cute animation. There's a Google logo, the dots, very nice. And then I, um, what I noticed also is the the, the Android robot, the mm-hmm. little uh, what's the name, Andy? Uh, I think I don't know if it has a name, but yeah, if it does, it's probably Andy. Yeah, it's, it's very it's funny. You know, I don't know if he's a he or a she or a they, uh, but the robot is very. It's very uh, cute and funny, and it brought me a smile. So that was cute. You know, especially the little antennas. <laughs> they yeah. flap around and they move. Uh, it reminds me of a puppy, which is which is cool. Um, what I noticed in the setup screen, Mike, is that it looked to me easier than the iOS setup. Uh, yeah. Fewer steps. Yeah. And two things I noticed. Uh, it supports landscape. So you can turn your phone sideways when you're doing the setup, which is a minor thing, but I noticed that because iOS doesn't have a landscape support when doing the setup. Even my iPad. Even the iPad, which is just a travesty. Um, you can add multiple fingerprints uh, during the setup. I'm pretty sure you cannot add multiple fingerprints on no. Touch ID when you're you doing the setup. You have to go into settings and, and add them. Add them. Yeah, so that was clever. Yeah, Android setup is very simple compared to iOS. Very setup. simple, yeah. You just need to put in your Google account and even doing the the restore from a backup, it, it was all very easy, very simple. And I think Apple should look at this and uh, to kind of streamline the iOS setup process, which has kind of grown a little too much over the, over the past few years. Uh, doing the setup on Android, definitely easier. Uh, at least that's my, my first yep. impression. So as soon as I as I log into the the Android device, uh, the home screen, there's no. I think there was no widgets. Um, 
First thing I do, I log into Google Play and I download Dropbox and 1Password. Because, yep. of course, I need to download a bunch of apps. I need my passwords and I need my files. So I set up Dropbox, set up 1Password. I'm still not looking at all of the widgets and home screen and, you know, Android stuff. Uh, and I download other apps. So Twitter, email, uh, my calendar. Uh, I actually didn't download the calendar because I eventually realized I could just use a widget. Um, what I notice is, and this is like first five minutes, Android doesn't have a share sheet uh, metaphor like on iOS. There's no action and share extensions. Uh, and I noticed this because I was uh, trying to log into apps with, uh, with uh, 1Password. And 1Password tells me you can enable the custom 1Password keyboard and you can enable autofill. And I was like, is there an extension I can use? I really don't want to use the keyboard. And then I did some research and I texted you, Mike, and you told me there's no share sheet on Android. So there's no share sheet in the sense that there is a share sheet. You can, you can um, send stuff to apps, but there's no idea of extensions uh, working on top of what you're doing and interacting with, a, with, a, with an app in the background. So on iOS, for example, you need to log into an app. There's a one password uh, icon in the, in the text field of a login screen. You tap that. One password comes up, uh, you do what you have to do, then you dismiss the extension and you have your login information filled in. On Android, uh, you have to use the one password keyboard, you have to tap and hold an icon, and then one password comes up, and then it auto-fills, but only sometimes. And it was kind of confusing to me. I didn't know what I was doing. And you told me uh, it's actually better for me. So this is one of the points that I want to discuss. Yeah, How so does it work, Mike? One of the things <laughs> that I like about the one password keyboard is once you've kind of authenticated, right? So you, you, you press the key, the thing and then you have to go out to the one password app, which is all seamlessly done, right? And you, you authenticate. What you get, which I really like, is you get two buttons that appear above the keyboard. One says fill username and one says fill password. So... Because there are times where autofilling doesn't work on websites. And I mm -hmm. see this quite a lot um, on iOS, especially being a Chrome user. Like Chrome on iOS very frequently will not autofill when I'm using the, the one password extension. But what I like about the way that it works on Android is you literally just press a button. So you, you, you're in a field, say you're in a text field for username, you just press the username button and it just fills the username in for the login that you've selected. I like that mm. because it brings a little bit more manual to the process for websites that refuse to do things the way that I want them to. Yeah. It's different. It's different. And also something that me and you were talking about um, was, the, you know, you mentioned like the share sheet metaphor. There, there are many things about Android which are uh, different and they're different because they've been doing things at a different pace to iOS. So one of the things that we'll talk about in a moment is document pickers and you know like and and also like uh, the kind of the shared storage stuff. That's been around in Android for a long time. Um so it it's different to iOS because it's older. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess. I guess yeah, they've been doing this for a long time and they don't feel the need to kind of reinvent what they're, what they're doing. Instead Apple had a chance to come up with a new solution and they did things in a similar way but also differently from a user experience standpoint. Uh and I think I I mean of course I'm more used to the way things are on iOS. I just feel like it's strange to not have the ability to to bring up 
uh, some portion of an app on top of what you're doing. You know, the idea on iOS being you can have an interface from a different app on top of the current app. So you can have like a Pythonista interface on top of Tweetbot. You know, that's how things work on iOS. Mm -hmm. And on Android, it's all based on you're in this app and then you tap the share sheet and you're in a different app and then you can go back. You know, it's it's similar but also different and uh, it's something that I noticed. I think my problems with the 1Password uh, keyboard is that it didn't work uh, consistently in, in all of my apps. Whereas on iOS, yeah. you see the 1Password icon, you can rest assured it's going to work. Well, see, I don't agree with that because... <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work in Chrome. I think the problem is Chrome, not one password. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree, but but the the conceit that it just works isn't true for all instances because it doesn't yeah. for me. Right? I guess Chrome is the, is the exception. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so what I did after setting up one password and Dropbox and a bunch of other apps is. I thought I could just move to Android N, the beta, uh, because it was a uh, pretty stable, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I installed, uh, I enrolled my Android device in the beta program. It was very easy. You just need to click enroll. And then you, you go to the settings, you download the beta, and you can see how Apple uh, borrowed from this process with the over-the-air beta installation uh, with iOS 9. Uh, you download the beta, you reboot, you're on the Android M beta. I, it didn't last very long because of some issues with a bunch of apps that were not working. Uh, the 1Password integration got worse when I was on the beta. Widgets were not refreshing properly. So I stood on the beta for about like half a day. But I noticed two points that I want to mention, Mike. Split screen for uh, phone apps is crazy. Like <laughs> Crazy, yes, but useful when you need it, right? So like, I don't think anyone should run their phones like this on a day-to-day -day no. basis. But in the times where you need to do something and you just have your phone with you, it can be useful, right? Like, I don't think anyone should have to do this all the time, but there are times where I'm on my iPhone where I wished I could just look at two things at once for, one, for some reason or another. It can be useful, but nobody should run their phones like this. Yeah, yeah I, I tried it with YouTube. I could see the benefit of having, you know, like a video and like my Twitter client on the on the other side. Mm -hmm. uh, the implementation is kind of, again, it's kind of crazy. You can uh, you can move the, 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 the separator around. Uh, it's very different. Uh, and But I did like how Android dims slightly the app that you're not currently focusing on. So that was a nice touch. And the second point uh, that I want to bring up is I love, I really, really like the uh, double tap on the... What's the name of the button, Mike? Like uh, multitasking? Yeah, let's call it multitasking. The multitasking button is a little square. And we spoke about this last time, that you can just double tap and it will just take you to the previous app. My God, that's so useful. Uh, it was It's like command tab on a phone. Yeah. And it takes you back like a fraction of a second to the last app you were using. So mm -hmm. you need to jump back and forth between, I don't know, Slack and Twitter. It's super easy. You just double tap and you go back. That was a highlight of uh, Android N in those few hours I spent on the beta. Uh, then I, you know, again, another benefit of Android was super easy to go back to the stable version. <laughs> I huh. didn't need to do a restore. I didn't need to plug into iTunes, of course. Uh, I just said, okay, I don't want to be enrolled in the beta anymore. Take me back to the stable release. Another software update, another reboot. I was back on the stable track. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. Like, because if you want to go back <laughs> on iOS, yeah. you may as well say a prayer. Like, it's so difficult yeah. to do.
It was super nice. Uh, the on the on the restore uh, on this I, I did the setup process again, but a lot of all of my settings, all of my apps and data came back from the Google backup, so that was super easy, very fast. Thumbs up for the Android setup and backup and restore and beta process. Oh, good job! All right, so at this point in your note taking and uh, your experience, mm-hmm. you're back on stable release. So I yes. guess you've probably then spent more time digging around Android. Yes. So we should find out exactly what you think of uh, the overall Android experience. But before we do, let's take a moment to thank Casper for sponsoring this week's episode. Casper is a company that is focused on sleep. Casper has created the perfect mattress that it sells directly to consumers, eliminating those commission-driven inflated prices that you might find in showrooms. Casper has revolutionized the mattress industry by selling directly to the consumer online. It's an award-winning mattress that has been developed in-house by Casper. It has a sleek design and it's delivered in an impossibly small box. In addition to the mattress, Casper now offers an adaptive pillow and soft breathable sheets as well, so you can get the whole package for a great night's sleep. An in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing that Casper mattress. It is obsessively engineered at a shockingly fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foam to create the mattress that's got just the right sink and just the right bounce. It is award-winning. Time magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. In fact, it's now the most awarded mattress of the decade, and its breathable design will help regulate your temperature throughout the night, so you're not going to be too hot, you're not going to be too cold. You're going to feel just right. Mattresses often cost well over $1,500, but Casper mattresses cost $500 for a twin size, $600 for a twin XL, $750 for a full, $850 for a queen, and $950 for a king. And even at those fantastic prices, they are made in America. Buying a Casper mattress online is completely risk-free. They will offer free delivery and free returns to the US and Canada within a 100-night trial period. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, not just sitting on it for five minutes in a showroom, especially considering that you're going to be spending a third of your life on it. You can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by going to casper.com connected and using the code connected at checkout terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much to Casper for their support of this show. All right, Mr. Vitici. Mm-hmm. Mr. Hurley, what's Tell up? me. Tell me about Android. Where do I start, Mike? So, first thing that comes up uh, is uh, the status bar and notifications. So I install a bunch of apps from the Google Play Store. I log into my apps with one password. Again, I'm back on the stable release, so everything's uh, better (laughs) than the beta. Mm -hmm. And my God, Mike, everything puts an icon in the status bar on Android. Yeah. Uh, You get a notification... You don't, you don't just get the notification, you get the notification and the icon in the status bar. And developers can... Yeah, the, the, the icons indicate that a notification is there for you. So the, uh, as you can imagine, uh, you, you've known me for a few years, Mike. You know my relationship with the status bar. Can you imagine my reaction to a status bar filled with icons? It is a very um, different way of doing things. 
right? And I can understand totally from somebody who is used to not seeing that. Seeing that is peculiar because this is this is one of those things that as uh, when I talk about age and maturity of the of the OS, this has been around in Android for a long time. I think possibly since it was incept like conceived, right? Like since it first began. And one of the things that came with that was over time uh, Android developed a far superior notification handling system than Apple. And this is one of those things that has come with it and is maybe, I think, a little bit legacy, but now it is just part of the system that people expect it to be there. But I agree with you. I don't like that. I mean, <laughs> I'm used to iOS as having a status bar with uh, system stuff. So when I see an icon in the status bar, it's either uh, you know Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or rotation lock, you know that that kind of stuff. Not mm-hmm. icons from apps. Yeah, and I mean that stuff is still always there, though, right? It's always Android. there. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, but it's also you know it's like my my personal nightmare having all of these icons. And uh, I, I wish there was an option to disable these. And I'm pretty sure there's a, some kind of tweak on the Google Play Store that I can install. I'll get to these a bit later. Uh, but, I, you know, uh, by default, uh, you get a notification, you get the notification itself, you know, the banner, but you also get the indicator, which is different. It can be useful sometimes. And it's part of the the few things that I prefer uh, of Android you know, compared to iOS, which is you don't just get notifications for, let me say, content or activity in apps. You also get like status messages or in-progress dialogues. So one example, when you share a screenshot on Slack, you get the progress indicator in the status bar. And when the, you can close the app and when the upload is finished, you get a message so you get this upload icon that's filling up, and when it's done, you get the message your screenshot has been shared, and that's very nice, you know, to be to have the kind of confirmation that something was going on, something is in progress, and something is done. That was very useful, and I've seen this uh, with other apps. I don't have uh, concrete examples, but it can also be annoying, you know. On the other hand, on the other hand, it, like. When I get a when I take a screenshot on on Android, and by the way, taking a screenshot on the five X is super uncomfortable. You need to hold down the power and the volume down buttons, which I don't really like because they're not as clicky as I like them to be. And I kind of again, I have to kind of wrap my hands in a weird position around the phone. Taking screenshots on Android has always been a weird endeavor. When you take a screenshot, you get a notification. I really don't want the notification for a screenshot. Again, there might be an option to disable this. I couldn't disagree with you more. Really? Right. When you take a screenshot, do you just take them so they stay in your camera roll forever? Yeah. I mean, but why though? Like, you do, oh, I'll just save this screenshot for, for the future. Most people don't do that. I mean, maybe you're a little bit different because you take screenshots for work. But usually when you take a screenshot, you want to do something with that screenshot. You want to send it somewhere. You want to send it to someone. You want to tweet with it. So putting it in the notifications, you, you just can tap on it and it will open it right up and you can get it off. I mean, I love that feature. Personally. Why would I want a notification for something I've just done manually? Because then it gives you a quick way to share it with someone, which is typically what you're looking to do. Uh, That's why it's there, right? But I, I like it for that. You just don't like it for that. And I want to share with someone. I just opened the app and I shared the image. You know? Like, I don't want... I, this is more convenient than having to open the app. It's just a different way of doing things. You clearly don't like it. But it fills my, my notification center with, with crap. 
<laughs> it's like a bunch of messages about screenshots. I don't want those. Right, but you need to understand that you're taking screenshots in a different way to most people. I guess. You're taking multiple screenshots for like research purposes. People don't do that. So like they're not filling their notification bar with screenshot after screenshot. Yeah. It was a nightmare for me, probably fine for everyone else. Yeah, that's, that's what I assume. <laughs> Again, the, the remember, Federico, you're a weirdo for this type of stuff, right? Well, well thank you. Yes, so am I, I am. though, right? But like, we do things, we're doing things differently to the way that normal people will do them, right? I, I think our, our, our um, interaction model inside of our two brains is different because when I think of sharing, I think of here's my media. I need to go to this app, I need to take the media manually and share it. Because you are conditioned to the iOS way of doing things. Yes. Whereas you know Android, you've known Android for longer, and you like the fact that you can tap on this notification and do an, a perform an action right there. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a different model that we have in our brain at this point. Yep. I, think, uh, I believe so too. One thing that I like, and I'm going to sound like a BlackBerry person at this point, you can <laughs> enable a notification light. <laughs> There's a light indicator. Uh, you, can, you can have a, a light, uh, like a uh, beeping light going on on, on, the, on the phone when yeah. there's a notification. I can't stand that, but like a lot of people love that you can do that. Makes me feel very businessy, you know, to have my notification light. That, yeah, that, I if, guess that's business right there, huh? Yeah, that that's it's really serious business when you get this light. It's like, look, there's stuff for you. Yeah, you know, I'm busy. I get notifications and stuff. I'm a busy man. You know, it's very very nice. Um, so everything. Uh, this is a major difference. Everything on Android sends you a notification by default. On iOS, when you open an app and it wants to send notifications, uh, you're given the permission dialog upfront, so you can say allow or don't allow notifications. On Android, the default is to allow all kinds of notica- notifications. Mm. And later, you have to go back and deny to those notifications and block them. And there's more settings than iOS, which I like. You can enable you know, privacy mode for notifications, so you can say, I want notifications, I just don't want them this way on the home screen. And it's a consistent system uh, setting, so it's not you know, depending from app to app, uh, which I like. You can block all notifications, but it struck me as a, as a very strange... Uh, Maybe not strange, just a difference. Uh, that on Android, all notifications are on. On iOS, all notifications are off until you say so. So, you know, it's very, very different uh, behavior from, from the two devices. Um, I mentioned that you can manage notifications. This is nice. The whole notif- uh, what is it called? The notification shade It's the name? Uh, that was what it was called. I don't know if it's still called that. But yeah, I think the shade. Mm-hmm. So it it looks better to me. Uh, looks more fun, more colorful. You know, um, it's not like a full on translucent um, sort of window on top of everything you're doing. It looks like a bunch of widgets, like a bunch of interfaces sliding from the top of the display. So from a from a design perspective, it looks very nice to me. And you can tap and hold on a notification to bring up the settings for that individual app, which is very nice. Uh, Saves me a lot of time compared to iOS from going into the settings, then notifications, and then controlling the notifications for individual apps. On Android, you can just tap and hold on the on the message from any app and say, I want to modify the settings, the notification settings for this app, and it's very well done. Um, 
again, it was just uh, sort of strange to have the difference of notifications on by default. And I've seen some inconsistencies when um, with the behavior of that gesture. Because sometimes I tap and hold and I don't see the settings icon. Other times I tap and hold and I get the settings. Uh, and then you can also um, kind of swipe down on a notification to see the quick action menu, sort of like on iOS. So for example, in the Gmail and Inbox apps, you can swipe down and you get the reply or archive icons, which is convenient. It's very similar to iOS, which is not a surprise because there's many similarities between the two. Mm -hmm. uh, overall, I would say I like how notifications look. I don't get the screenshot stuff. Uh, I don't like the status bar. I dig the controls and the settings and the consistency of the settings when they are consistent. So when they are consistent, it's pretty good. When they're not, it drives me crazy. The status bar, get rid of it. The screenshot stuff, make it an option because, Mike, you're crazy. You're uh, crazy. I'm crazy. Well, whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I would say... <laughs> I love you, Mike. Uh, <laughs> I would say it's very different, but there's some stuff that Android gets right. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. I would. Fundamentally, I think this is going to be a theme throughout the rest of the episode. Things are different. Some things that Android get right. So next up, Mike, I think this is a big one. Um, performance and uh, the interface. So the first thing I, I notice when I'm actually using Android and Android apps is there's no tapping the status bar to go back to the top of a list. Oh, it drives me crazy. It drives me crazy. Yeah. It's I don't know why they don't have this. Like, So in iOS, you like scrolling a web page and go to the top of the web page, hit the status bar, and you go all the way up. But on Android, this just doesn't seem to be implemented. It drives me mad. And it's very annoying you know, to, to not have the kind of shortcut... But what's even worse in the, is that on Android, at least a lot of the apps that I've tried, there's no tab bar UI metaphor. So on iOS, uh, Apple apps and a lot of third-party apps use tabs at the bottom uh, to let you switch between different sections of an app. Uh, and over the years, we've seen the rise and maybe the fall of the so-called side menu, you know, the hamburger menu, uh, where there's a to switch between sections, there's a, a list, like a drawer, coming up from the left side of the screen. And in recent years, a lot of developers have gone back to using tabs at the bottom, for example, Spotify. And still, uh, the majority of Apple apps all use the top bar at the bottom. Apple UI designers and evangelists, they tell you as a developer to use tabs at the bottom to switch between sections because it's easier and it's faster. And there's no tabs in android apps like at least the ones that i've tried uh they all use a side menu so it takes a too ma far too many tabs to switch between sections and i've seen this in twitter clients for example i installed talon and phoenix um i prefer phoenix which is a little faster and smoother uh but there's no tabs so yeah i'm so used to tweetbot and even the twitter app it lets you move from the timeline to the um to the to the favorites, to the mentions and the direct messages, and it and it always takes one tap. You know, uh, you just need to hit the tab at the bottom. On Android, it's either multiple swipes because a lot of these apps use swipes on the in the middle of the screen to move between pages, or you need to bring up the side menu to switch between sections. And I really, really think that tabs are better, and I prefer the way that the UI is structured by default. Uh, on iOS. Well, guess what exists in the material design guidelines? 
Tabs? Recommendation to use tabs instead of hamburger menus. But why are material apps not using tabs yet? That is a implementation thing. Okay. Okay, so there is a thing that seems to exist in Android, the Android development world, which I would love to be corrected on. But there seems to be that the majority of developers don't embrace Google's recommendations as quickly huh. as Apple developers do. So you will get some developers that do, and they, they will go for it quickly, and they will implement things faster than others. But what that leads to is even in the most popular applications, some of them don't look as nice as they could. Hmm. That's interesting. But there seems to be, at least from my experience of this stuff, because there was always... Because originally the, the design tools and the design guidelines were basically non-existent, that it, I think, bred an idea of caring less, maybe, um, than, than, than maybe like caring less than... Apple developers did because Apple have always put more of an emphasis on design. One of the other mm. things in material design is the top tab menu instead of uh, the way that Apple does it. Yeah. With like the, right? So that's another thing, like less hamburger and like the swiping left and right and the tabs menu as well as bottom navigation. So they are making some some changes to try and bring out that like selection UI. Yeah, but see, even top tabs uh, with pagination, it's not as good as bottom tabs because especially on big phones, it's just easier to switch between tabs at the bottom. Yeah, well, I think I think one of the ways the pagination is meant to work is that you swipe the, the UI exactly. pages. Exactly, and that, that I don't like okay. because on iOS, uh, tabs are easier to reach at the bottom, so you, you're free to use swipes to interact with content. So, for example, in TweetBot, uh, you can use swipes on individual items of content on tweets you know you can mm -hmm. use uh, swipe gestures on android there's just a single swipe to move between pages which are either associated with the side menu or with the pagination at the top yeah and uh, you know from a ui point of view i i really prefer the way things are on ios and but that's not even my major complaint my major complaint is that now, I don't know if this is an Android thing or a problem with the 5X. I'm just talking with my own experience with the 5X and the stable Android release. There's no contest. iOS is way, way smoother than Android. Like, performance difference, yes, not even funny. Scrolling in Android apps is janky, it's stuttery, and there's no comparison with iOS. So, again, this is another thing that is a they are really trying to improve with N. And I feel like the last two releases of Android have been trying to bring it to that 60 frames a second. Android mm. really struggled with this, and that Google rewrote a lot of the base code to allow for better performance. So again, it's coming, but it relies on people doing a lot of work to make it happen. But I do agree with you, the overall performance of scrolling and just general app animation and stuff like that is not as polished, and it never has been. But Google is doing yeah. a lot to try and make it better. Yeah, and uh, iOS apps really basically smoke their Android counterparts yeah. in terms of performance. But if you look like at a really, really well-designed Android app, something like Phoenix, which is a great Twitter client that you mentioned, when you scroll that list, it's as smooth as you would want it to be, right? Like, it doesn't stutter, it's perfectly fine. Because again, Not it's a well-designed... Well, you know, okay, there's always going to... I mean, I'm looking at it now, and I'm scrolling through my timeline, and it's zipping around, right? Like, it's it's nice, 
maybe it's one of the things that I noticed because I obsess over this stuff on iOS. Here's the thing that ah, I've just thought of something that we need to to that I need to maybe point out. The 5X has performance issues. Okay. Yeah, again, as I mentioned, it could be. Yeah, but I've it, noticed it slowdowns, like the frame rate dropping. Yeah. and uh, This might be more of a your device problem than a, mm. uh, a OS problem. Mm-hmm. And I also want to mention um, like the design from a static uh, perspective. So set aside when things are in motion. Um, the font... So, uh, and what's uh, what's the name of the Android system one? Roboto. Roboto. Okay, I like it, uh, but I don't like it as much as I like San Francisco on uh, on iOS. I think Roboto is either too compact or too light, and it doesn't have the same balance between um, you know, especially when it when it changes from small size to larger sizes. I think Apple has done a terrific job with uh, San Francisco, the text and uh, UI display weights of San Francisco. I, I think it, I, I I think it's better than Android than Roboto. It looks better to my eyes. That said, Roboto is not terrible, and having seen screenshots of old version of Android versions of Android, I think it you know it's better today than it used to be. But the, my problem is when apps don't use material design and material design guidelines, they look just terrible, like terrible PC apps. Uh, if you go to the Google Play Store, most utilities or tweaks or stuff that you install to modify the behavior of Android uh, system stuff or other apps, those tools, they look horrible. Like the, They look like the, the, the sort of stuff I would install on my PC in the mid-2000s. It looks terrible. There's some really well-designed apps like Pocket Casts or uh, Todoist or um, yeah. Phoenix. Yeah. But other apps, man, they're oh. just awful. The, so this is the thing. I think when you get a really great, really well-designed Android app... I think in places they rival, if not beat, design on iOS. Like there are, I think there are apps that look absolutely fantastic. And it's like you put them next to iOS apps and it can be difficult. There are things that are better about one or the other. But the main difference that I've found is that even in good applications, like not just like the crap that you will find hidden away in the back of the store, but like good applications that are used by many people, the difference in design is shocking compared to on iOS. Shocking? Yeah. Really? Like, there are uh, apps that are widely used that look atrocious, which I don't think happens as much on iOS. But we are in a kind of bubble here, right? Like, we are in the indie app development bubble where mm. people take more care of this. And I expect that there is also a bubble on Android which can kind of make you think differently about it. But I do agree with you that, at least in my playing around and testing, that there are some great apps, but there are some truly atrocious ones as well. Yeah. And the the, the overall feeling that I got is that... And, and I don't want to sound like a, like an Apple fanboy or... You know, if anything, I really don't want to be an Apple fanboy. This is the whole reason behind this experiment. But I do feel like, overall, there's more care for user experience design and visual design on iOS than Android. And I think things are getting better on Android because you told me and I'm looking at these new guidelines. 
I think they know they're sort of behind. And I think we're seeing some apps that look better than iOS versions now. But overall, it looks to me like Apple is more tightly controlling the experience with the benefit of a more consistent design language. And on Android, everything is a little more flexible. Everything is a little more customizable at the expense of a consistent design. And sometimes even of good design, I would say. Yeah, And, and you need to kind of choose which is your uh, preference, right? Like, do, do you want yeah. strong customization or do you want strong design? Because depending on which one of those two things matters more to you, I think will push you towards the right OS. Yeah, and uh, I see this, for example, on the, on the Android home screen. Every icon looks different. Uh, developers are free to use any shape they want. Yeah. So I got like an icon is shaped like a camera. A bunch of icons are circles. Uh, other icons are square. Some of them have rounded corners. Others don't. And coming from iOS, it's just crazy not to have a consistent shape of icons on the home screen. And I get it. Like on Android, it's different and everything is customizable. Therefore, there's no need for a consistent guideline that enforces a, you know, a shape. I mean, on iOS, developers have to submit a square artwork to the App Store. Mm -hmm. And the, 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 the icon mask is applied at a code level on, a, you know, on the home screen. And it's just different on Android. You get a bunch of different shapes. And to my to my eyes, it's all like, oh my god, what is going on? You know, that was my yeah. reaction. When the when the shapes are a consistent size, right? Because that can struggle. Sometimes some iPad icons are just significantly bigger than others. When they are a consistent size, I prefer that they're different shapes because I think it's more interesting. Like looking at my Android home screen, I'll put a picture of it in the show notes. Um, I think that it is good looking because we've got all these really interesting looking applications. Uh, but on like the second screens and on, in like the app drawers and stuff, they're all different sizes and I don't like that. But the ones that I have on my home screen, the sizes are pretty consistent. And I like the I like the fact that they, they look really interesting and the design's kind of cool. But yeah, it can be a bit of a nightmare at the same time. I got some other uh, comments from uh, from the interface and user experience section of my notes, Mike. Mm -hmm. I couldn't figure out how to launch the camera. Now, I know, uh, because I found out last night, that I can double-click the volume button to open the camera. But the, main, the, the underlying concern, to me at least, is that there's no uh, control center version of, on Android. Like, there's no panel that you swipe up and have a bunch of shortcuts always there. And I guess the reason is because everything's kind of grouped together in the notification center, whatever is the name. Like, you get widgets, but you also get notifications, so you can have music players in there, you can have widgets, and you can have notifications. Whereas on iOS, it's a clear distinction between widgets, notifications, and controls at the bottom. And to me, it was kind of crazy not to have uh, some kind of interface that I can swipe up or swipe down from anywhere and have system shortcuts always there. I mean, on Android, there's, a, there's shortcuts for uh, radios and brightness and rotation, but no camera, really. And it was kind of crazy to me. I mean, I get it, like, why maybe having a physical activation point with a, with a volume button may be better for some people. But I really don't want to click buttons. I just want to swipe up and tap an icon. 
And to me, it's kind of crazy not to have the shortcut. I mean, you can decide whether this argument's valid or not, but I bet that there's an app or a home screen edition that you can install sure. that will allow it. Sure. Right? And that's one of the key things about Android is like, yeah. you don't like something, well, someone's probably fixed it for sure. you. And that's sure. not the way it is on, on iOS, right? Like, it's like, you don't like something, well, get used to it, buddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't like something, well, I don't care. Take it up to Johnny Ive. Uh, I guess... The when you when you bring up that argument, the counterpoint would be there's a lot of personalization, there's a lot of flexibility, which is awesome because I spend hours tweaking stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of overhead, you know. Uh, if you want to sure. make the OS look like you want it to be, there's a lot of time that you need to sink into the Google Play Store and forums and looking up things online to modify things, to experiment with things and to install, uninstall, set permissions, you know, that kind of stuff. It's different. You can do it, but it takes a lot of time. Yeah, and it's up to you if you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, but, like, it's possible to do. Another another feature that's quite different, uh, quite different from iOS, um, memory management and battery information. Android kind of goes, goes crazy here. Mm-hmm. I do like the, the 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 camera statistics. Like there's a graph showing you battery decrease and discharge over time. Uh, you can have really precise information about uh, which kind of apps are using your battery, uh, what's going on, how much time you have left, how it's progressing over time. That's super geeky, but also kind of handy for a lot of people because, you know, everyone struggles with battery life on their phones. Memory and, you know, RAM management is kind of crazy. I don't want to think about managing RAM. This is the whole reason for getting a smartphone so I can get away from that PC stuff. You know, I don't want to think about memory. I don't want to think about RAM. Whereas I've seen apps with either memory management settings. So you can say, don't use more than X megabytes of memory. Or I've seen settings with... uh, menus to free up, free up RAM manually, that, all, that, that stuff, it looks like, uh, again, I keep coming up with the word crazy because it seems crazy to me to have memory management on a phone, you know? Yeah, I think this is like one of those scenarios that this type of thing is like if you give people an inch, they'll take a mile. Mm, so, yeah. you know, you give people some kind of like deep tools and then they end up instead of managing it effectively themselves they just expose it to the user and then when you get the core android users are used to seeing that they demand it from developers so then you end up in a scenario where applications put this stuff in because otherwise people get upset right and this is like what we were talking about last week with google adding the kind of close all applications button in the multitasking view like I think they're a little bit more like the Android users are a little bit more demanding of seeing these changes made and Google and or developers are more likely to give them because it's part of the Android way. So you put these features in that are kind of really low level, but there are a core set of users that want to do it themselves rather than have the app do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. It's a different, if it's just a different thing, right? It's just like a, a, a fundamentally different way of approaching this type of thing. And I'm sure that there are times where, as iOS users, it would be useful if we could have that kind of control. Mm-hmm. But we're not used yeah. to it, so we don't think about it. The, the the expression, by the way, is a bit darker in Italian. We say, you give someone a finger, they get an arm. 
That's a very Italian uh, way of, <laughs> of expressing that sentiment, yes. Um, speaking, of, <laughs> speaking of crazy stuff, Mike, yeah. on Android, apps can access all sorts of things. Yes. Uh, there's permissions for everything. So they can access the lock screen and they can modify that. They can read your phone calls, your messages. They can modify low-level things. There's apps that you install and then you have to go to the Google Play Store to install the plugin to access the permission of other aspects of the OS. Um, it, it's, it, I mean, it's impressive from a technical point of view how much you can control mm-hmm. your Android experience. So, for example, I, uh, I'm going to talk this, uh, about this in a bit, but you can modify the lock screen. You can have a different lock screen. You can have different app launchers because you can modify that part of the OS. And coming from iOS, it's all quite shocking, really, to, to, to have that kind of freedom and say, you know, these apps can read your documents, they can read your SMS history, they can read your location all the time, they can run in the background all the time, they can have a persistent notification always shown in the, in the, in the shade. You can do everything. And, you know, the, 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 the geek inside me is excited about all of these but also kind of scary because of the stuff that apps can do yeah the permission stuff has always been a bit wonky but it's got again this is something that they're improving in and they're like really making the permissions process better and you're able to go in and kind of turn things off and turn things on a lot easier than you did before previously it was just like you download an app and there's still a part of this in there as they're transitioning and it'll just be like this app's gonna do this see you later like, and it was like, okay. And again, like, yeah, that stuff is scary, but like it ties into the overall like Google versus Apple thing, you know, that we talk about, about like you give people your data, you kind of like go a little bit of privacy and what you get is some great stuff back, right? This is like the argument that we make for Google and it's kind of similar here, right? Yes, you give apps the ability to kind of take over a lot of the lock screen or the home screen, but what you get is like you can get there's like a launcher called Action Launcher where you can swipe up on a folder and it will and it will it will like set some sort of action off, maybe open a specific app or you swipe up on the Instagram icon and it opens the camera, right? Like it does all this crazy stuff because you give it the access to do that. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know about that. Action Launch is awesome, by the way. You should check it out. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of installing and downloading apps, I have a few thoughts about the Google Play Store. Mm-hmm. I, I want to start with the negative comments first. I think it's harder to browse than the yes. App Store. Yes, it is. The front page uh, has fewer sections, fewer curated sections. Uh, and I feel overall the app store feels more lively, feels more like there's stuff going on every week. Uh, and you can see there's human editors behind it. There's sections, editors picks, uh, there's a bunch of scrollable carousels on iOS. On Android, there's some editors picks and there's some, uh, there's some badges for recommended apps and trusted developers, which is stuff that uh, Apple should take a look at. But overall, I feel like it, ta- it, it takes too many taps to read app information, takes too many taps to read a change log for the latest version of an app. Mm-hmm. It takes too many taps to read when an app was last updated because you have to enter the description and scroll all the way to the bottom. So I feel overall from a design and information density point of view, the App Store is better because it shows you more stuff. It's updated more often, especially now the Phil Schiller is at the helm and it feels like more of a 
more of a like an open market with a lot of people, you know, choosing stuff, recommending new stuff. That said, there's some positive things about the Google Play Store. There's more intelligent sections. Again, not a surprise coming from Google. There's more sections that recommend you stuff based on what you're browsing, what you're searching and what you have installed. So, of course, Google being Google, there's more automation going on. And, and I like that because I got a few app recommendations that were really, really on point. Yeah, based on this app that you downloaded, you might like this one. And I, I like that too because I have found lots of things that are useful to me because of that. Yes, same. There's easy refunds. So you buy an app. Uh, again, the process is similar. Uh, you can pay with touch, uh, no, touch ID, but the fingerprint <laughs> sensor. I think it's called Imprint now. Imprint, okay. That's a familiar name. Uh, anyway, uh, there's a refund option. Uh, I think you have like a 15-minute window, maybe, that you can ask for a refund. Yeah, it used to be uh, 24 hours, but um, mm. developers kind of rallied against that because people would download a game, complete a game, and then get a refund on it. Um, oh, that sucks. Yeah. The dev- I think the refund window has changed to 15 minutes, which is good if, like you've downloaded an application for a specific purpose, you open it, you find out it can't do that, then you can delete it and it will refund you. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I haven't taken advantage of this Mm -hmm. because, of course, I always want to support developers, Mike. So refunds, there's a button, very easy to use. Uh, I like that there's the ability for developers to reply to customer reviews. Seriously, Apple, take a look at this. Uh, because every time you bring up, oh, developers should be able to reply to customer reviews, you get those Apple people who don't want to look outside of their own box. And they say, yeah, but it's right this way. Imagine if developers could, could reply to reviews. Imagine the mess that it would be. Let me tell you, people, it's a great option. Yes, and- it is. I'm so happy you're saying this. It's fantastic because you can look at a review and you see someone is all upset about it and then you see a good response to it and it's like, oh, okay, that makes yeah. me feel better. Yeah, and you can see that it's obviously the developer responding because there's a different username and it's just, it feels more of, a, of an open place for discussion. So if you have a doubt or if you see, man, what is this person complaining about? Are we sure that this person hasn't come across some weird bug that he, only he is experiencing? There's the developer reply and you can see the, the reasoning for the developer. And I appreciate that. And I wish that Apple would take a look at this because it makes sense really to allow developers to respond to people. A minor feature that I really like, links in description, uh, in the description box can be tapped and opened in a browser. <laughs> I mean, seriously, yeah. Apple, you, you're forcing <laughs> developers to include links and links cannot be tapped or selected. I mean, come on. So it's a minor thing, but it makes sense. I also do like how um, permissions that an app is going to require are explained beforehand. So you can see, you want to buy this app, you want to download this app. Remember, this app will ask you for permissions to open the camera or access your SMS history or, you know, location and stuff. And, I mean, it makes sense for Android, you know, because with all these crazy permissions, uh, I think it makes sense to tell people beforehand what what they're going to run into later, I guess. Mm Mm-hmm. And I didn't know, Mike, that it's also split in apps and games. Yes. I haven't really taken a look at games. I yeah, it, like a... the charts and stuff like that, uh, Google split them into apps and they split them into games, which I think is fantastic to split those two things up because they are different and apps and games kind of, they, they dominate the stores. And I think it's really great to have different charts and stuff that will split them up. Mm-hmm. Like it's just yeah. a, ni- a nice thing to do because it gives everybody a bit more of a fair chance, I think. Yeah. 
So, Mike, now we're, we have reached the section where I want to talk what I call the crazy and the good stuff. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, just because I feel like uh, I don't want to give the impression that I'm the iOS guy trying Android and just bashing Android. Because, I mean, uh, I, I have mentioned things that I like. I'm, I'm trying to keep a fair and balanced perspective. There are some things that are crazy, but that I really like. Widgets. So, for many, many years, I've heard, followed, seen people on iOS who say that Android and widgets on the home screen are ugly. And uh, for many years, I also thought, passively, because I was influenced by those people, that having widgets on the home screen would be ugly. Let me tell you, Mike, in practice, I'm actually really liking this. Yes! I love... I love the ability, <laughs> just let me say it outright, I love the ability to have widgets on the home screen. I love having some widgets, not too many of them, I'm not going insane with the, you know, dozens of widgets, just two, my to-do list and my calendar. So what I'm doing is, I'm, sl- I'm splitting up my, my Android phone on multiple pages. There's a work page with a bunch of work apps and two work widgets. And there's the music page with a bunch of audio related apps and some music widgets. And I get it. Like it's a compromise of consistency and control. Meaning on Android, your home screen is going to look different and there is going to look like there's a bunch of icons intermixed with widgets and you can resize widgets, you can move icons up and down, you can leave blank spots on the home screen with a trade-off of having more control, having more personalization. And I do, I really do like not having to enter an app just to look at a list of things. I do love the ability to quickly glance at my calendar right on the home screen, without having to swipe to open widgets, without having to open an app. And And fundamentally as well, uh, I believe Android widgets are better looking and more functional than notification center widgets on iOS. Yes, and and you can see why. You can see why, because Apple is enforcing more limitations, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's design or access to system features or, uh, you know, like... Uh, access to to memory so you know uh, from a performance point of view it's all very different but i could see how apple could maybe freshen up the ios home screen a little because i think we we all agree at this point that the home screen on ios is feeling a little dated you know and even the people who say that android looks ugly i think that fundamentally deep down in their hearts, because those people have hearts, they do believe that the iOS home screen needs something other than icons. Yeah, I does. think we all agree. We must do by now, especially on the iPad. Yeah, especially on the iPad, which is such a big screen. I think we all agree that we're, we have to move beyond the, the grid of icons. And I, I could see how, with more guidelines, with a little more paranoia with a little more limitations on performance and layouts, I could see how Apple could do something similar on iOS. Maybe it's not going to be... Of course, it's not going to be as customizable as an Android. It's not going to be as crazy as Android. But I could see the benefit of having information on my home screen, having quick access to documents, 
or to my clipboard or to my calendar, you know, not having to to maybe to intend the mobile experience, the home screen experience, not not as a as a as a launcher, you know, as a point where you go and you jump and you jump and you jump and you move from app to app, but more of a as a as a cohesive experience, you know, with the apps mixed with information. That's what I would like to see on iOS. It's well done on Android. I can see how it can look ugly. I can see how it can be a little too much for Apple people. But the underlying idea, it makes sense. And I'm, and I'm a fan of, uh, of the idea. And I, and I wish that Apple would consider something like this, especially on the iPad. Maybe not as crazy, but the, 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 the very concept of mixing apps and mixing information, I think it's a winner. And I think we should have something like that on iOS. Are you happy, Mike? Yes, very. <laughs> <laughs> because I've been saying this for so long, right? And and I know, you know, you've maybe kind of gone along with me here and there, but now you know why I want it. Now I know. Now I know. But again, I do see how Apple may not take the similar approach to Google. You know, I mean, you can resize widgets. I really can see Apple uh, making yeah. resize controls. But maybe, you never know. You never know, Mike. Um, and you know what I would love, Mike? I'm sure there's a there's a tweak for this. But I would love I would love to be able to say, show me this widget if this app is doing X. If this app is not doing this this task, show me something else. Because I, I don't like that I that I put in a widget for Spotify and when Spotify is not playing, that widget is useless. You know right. what I mean? Okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. I bet I bet there is a way to do that. This is the thing about Android, the world of possibility, right? You have an idea and it's not like, oh, no, there's no way they allow that. The first thought is someone must have done this. (laughs) And and, I mean, you could see see how Apple is even moving maybe towards that direction. Look at the watchOS watch face, you know, complications. That's the idea. Instead of having shortcuts to jump to stuff... You bring information to the user. And that's the idea, right? You bring in information yep. more easily to the user. So you don't have to swipe down. You just have it all right there. So, you know, I'm a fan. Here's one feature that I, I don't think I have a, a complaint uh, on Android. Document pickers. They're really well done on Android. It's a simple, unified interface. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes with the API. But basically, apps can install let's say a location and you have a single screen where you can switch between Dropbox or Google Drive or OneDrive or Photos, whatever, and you can just pick your file. There's no it doesn't take it doesn't require too many taps. It's not like document pickers on iOS where it's always riddled with bugs and, and some weird problems. All document pickers are first class citizens on Android. And I feel like it really simplifies the way that you work with documents. The way, like this is what I was saying earlier about like it being completely baked into Android. It's been there for yep. so long, and exactly. it's just a super simple and easy way to just send any file to any app, basically. Yeah, and it's just by far and away one of the best things about the Android experience. You could just take a file and very easily choose where you want it to go. It was also very interesting to me that apps can uh, can can populate this list of uh, accounts 
So I have this uh, screen which has my Dropbox account, my Evernote account, my Twitter account. And the idea is that other apps can access these accounts easily. So it's like what you have on iOS for Twitter and Facebook and, uh, I don't know, Flickr, (laughs) Uh, maybe? I don't remember. Uh, But taken to the extreme and you can have this list of accounts from apps and I feel like that's very convenient and it would cut a lot of the custom login screens on iOS, you know, to have a unified account API and for apps to be able to, let's call it account kit, you know, and to be, for mm-hmm. apps to be able to to ask you, can I access your Evernote account so I can provide you with this Evernote feature so you don't have to, you know, log into with, with a web browser? That seems to be convenient. Now, Mike, uh, we we have reached uh, the the gem, I would say, of Android. Just Google now. Yeah. So I was not expecting Google to be a page on the home screen. You didn't mm-hmm. tell me, Mike, that it was a page. You can swipe right, and on the left on the left side of the home screen, there's Google now. Yeah. Why didn't you tell me? <laughs> I didn't know I needed to. <laughs> should have to. told me, Mike. You should have told me. Okay. You should have told me. One of the, should've, you should have said, look, when you swipe right, there's going to be Google. Anyway, um, there's two parts to Google Now, which is the Google interface and Google Now on tap. So Google Now on tap uh, sounds like a gimmick, right? That you can tap and hold on the home icon uh, in the virtual button interface at the bottom. And you get like, uh, like, there's like an interface going on. It's like Google doing doing OCR on the screen. It looks at what's on the screen and it suggests you related information. Yep. And that's awesome. Uh, like I'm, let me give you an example. So I'm reading this article on Pocket uh, and it's about uh, time capsules. And there's, a, there's this interesting fact about a university in, the, in Georgia, in, in the United States, uh, they built uh, like a time capsule. It's a whole room, uh, last century. And uh, I bring up Google Now on tap, and it scans the article, sees what I'm reading, and it gives me articles and a Wikipedia link for that particular uh, university and the time capsule room. And it was amazing. I just needed to bring up Google Now. It saw what I was doing. It knew what I was looking for. And it gave me a shortcut to open that Wikipedia page easily in the browser, which is awesome. It's cool, right? It's very cool. It's very cool. And uh, I feel like I haven't scratched the full potential of Google Now on top yet, but I can see how it can be useful. And another example, I was in Spotify streaming music. I uh, bring up Google Now on tap, sees that I'm listening to Justin Timberlake, and it shows me shortcuts to open Justin Tiberlake's profile on Instagram and Twitter. Super convenient. I, I really think it's a good idea to have the contextual information handed off to the assistant anytime you want. The other part of Google now is the actual Google interface. Uh, and this is similar to the Google app on iOS. It shows you driving times, calendar appointments, related uh, articles from the web based on stuff that you read, and it's all very similar to iOS. There's a major difference on Android. You can assign apps to tasks. So, for example, you can say, open, I don't know, Oasis in Spotify, and it opens, you know, the Oasis screen in Spotify, so you can start listening. Or you can say, create a note in Todoist. The first time you say that, 
it lets you confirm that you want to associate uh, the Todoist app with the create note command. And later you can just say create a note, you say whatever you have to say, and you basically create a reminder in Todoist, which is a third-party app. And using this stuff, uh, custom third-party apps with Google Now made me want a Siri API even more. Like it took me two minutes. I was, I was like, yep, yep. I got it right. I really do want a Siri API. And I feel like you don't see the potential of a, of a, of a voice-activated assistant with app integration with any app you want until you try something like this. It's really, really awesome. And I can only imagine in the future we'll have a Siri API. You can bring up Siri anytime. You can, and you can create content in other apps without being taken into that app that's going to be epic. And uh, if Apple is not doing this with iOS 10, man, I'm going to be disappointed. Yeah, I, f- I, f- I feel like of all the things that we're talking about with Siri, like the things that it needs to do, the things that it should do, having third parties being able to reach in and do things with Siri and or, you know, like you say, uh, like having the ability to set certain tasks for specific applications, this just feels like a no-brainer now, right? Like this has to exist in the next version of Siri. Yeah, yeah, I, I really think uh, the uh, the obvious road for Siri is to talk to th- to third parties because there's only so many integrations Apple can do on their own, you know, and uh, and I feel like Google Now and Google Now on Tap they play to Google's strengths in the way that Google can look a little uh, a lot of information about you. Um, I don't see Apple doing at least in the near future doing something similar to Google Now on Tap, reading everything that, anything that's on the screen, but, you know, talking to apps and simplifying the process of performing tasks uh, via voice or via text, because you can also text with, with the Google page on, on Android and create content in other apps. That's really awesome. Yep. Now, this is uh, perhaps in my top three favorite features of Android. Apps can open pop-ups. And of this feature, one implementation stands out, which is music smash lyrics over apps. Now, being the music fan that I am, you can only imagine, Mike, how giddy I am with a widget that shows me lyrics for any song in any app, no matter what I do on my phone. What do you mean by pop-ups? There's different apps that I've seen. So some of them use a... uh, Remember Facebook chat heads? Yeah. So a few apps use that sort of uh, feature, I guess, to place uh, like a circle on the screen and you can drag it around and when you tap it, it opens a a, a mini window. Music Smash uses this for lyrics. Brave, which is the browser that I'm using... Uh, uses these for uh, browser tabs. But I've also seen apps running as pop-ups, like Talon, the Twitter client. It can be opened as a pop-up on top of what you're doing. So you can scroll the timeline. Let's say you're in Google Chrome, and you Mm -hmm. can bring up the Talon pop-up and scroll the timeline and then go back to Google Chrome. It's kind of crazy. I don't know what the name of the API is, 
but you can do this pop-up stuff. And my two highlights are Music Smash, uh, which, you know, you start listening to in Spotify or Google Play Music, whatever, and it brings up, uh, so it scans the, the title of the song and the artist in the now playing menu, shows you the lyrics. Lyrics are in real time, so they follow the, the, you know, the song. And it's just fantastic because I'm, you know, browsing Twitter. I can keep my lyrics on the, on the screen. I can take a look at the lyrics. Um, I'm not sure what a song is saying in any particular point. I can just tap on the music smash chat head kind of thing and it opens the lyrics, which is awesome. The Brave web browser. I think it's the browser from the Mozilla guy. I'm not sure. It's basically like a browser with a privacy and ad blocker built in, but that's not the most interesting feature. It's that once you set it as your default browser, and by the way, yes, you can set default apps on Android, mm. and it's not as terrible as I thought it would be uh, because you can always go back to the default later. Uh, you can customize everything. Yeah, you just go to settings and change them. Once you set Brave as the default browser, any tap, anytime you tap a link in, a, in the timeline or in a Google search results page or in an RSS client, the link doesn't open uh, in Chrome or in a web view. It goes straight into the, into the Brave bubble and then it loads in the background in the Brave bubble. Then when you want, you can tap the bubble and it shows you the web page on top of what you're doing. Then you can tap and hold on the bubble and you can drag it around. You can throw it to the bottom to close it or you can assign custom sharing actions to the left, to the left and right sides of the screen. So if you want to share a web page to pocket, you just need to tap and hold on the bubble and throw it to the left side and it goes into pocket. Or you want to save it as a task, you throw it to the right side and it goes into the to-doist. It's, you know, it kind of exemplifies uh, the kind of control and kind of crazy stuff that you can do on Android. But I really do like the, I do like the idea. Again, I don't see Apple doing pop-ups. I don't, I don't see Apple doing chat heads anytime soon, uh, but it's nice. And maybe my problem with lyrics will be solved, uh, I don't know, with uh, Apple Music gaining direct lyrics integration. We'll see. The other... Now, these are, these are not necessarily good things or more like on the crazy end of the spectrum. Custom lock screens, Mike. I've tried a bunch. I've, tra- I've tried two of them. On Android, you can modify the lock, screen, the lock screen and it can look completely different to the stock one. I have tried two of them. There's a, the Microsoft Next lock screen and another one, I don't remember the name, but the idea was similar. And uh, many developers are doing these uh, smart lock screens. The idea is they look at your behavior, they look at your app usage so they can understand which apps you use the most. And then they can give you shortcuts for relevant apps, depending on context, depending on location. And it's, kind of, it's all kind of insane that you can modify the lock, screen, the lock screen of a phone, especially coming from an iPhone where everything is, you know, you cannot touch anything there. And I can see why a lot of users like them. It's just, it broke my brain, Mike. Because... um. Aside from the fact that I cannot fathom the idea of modifying such an intrigue, a core part of, of the experience as, as the lock screen, 
too many times the integration was kind of glitchy and buggy. Uh, so for example, I wake the phone and for a second I see the stock lock screen and then it refreshes to the custom one. Mm. And for my for my eye, for my sort of brain, that's just not gonna work. Yeah, that sounds like bad developer um, yeah. work than than uh than than like kind of core functionality problems yeah i guess i i just think like i like this stock lock screen uh, of google i i don't think i need uh one of these smart lock screens especially because they were not really smart uh so maybe there's a maybe there's a another one that i can try so we mentioned uh, permissions uh, before. Of course, you can access all kinds of things. And uh, I also mentioned how lock screens can access your app. They can monitor the apps that you use, the apps that you launch, and they can recommend stuff. It's all kind of crazy. And there's even plugins on the Google Play Store that you can install to add extra permissions. It's kind of different coming from iOS. But I, the last point that I want to bring up before my, my, closing, my closing thoughts, Mike. Text selection. You need to help me understand how text selection works on Android because I really don't get it. Yeah. All right. So we're going to do this live. So let's say that you have a message or something that you're writing. All right. So mm -hmm. maybe open a message and you want to type in some stuff. Now, one of the big problems on Android is the loop type thing doesn't really exist here. Okay. So what you want to do is press and hold on a word and then you'll get some little anchors that you can drag around. So you need to kind of press and hold on it first and then you'll know that it will come. Then there's also that little blue... So once you tap in the text area as well, you get like this other little blue anchor that you can then drag around. It's just learning that it's it's different. It's kind of fundamentally different to the way it's done on iOS and I believe that there was something legal around it. But you kind of have to tap and hold on the word first, and then once you let go, you'll be able to get some text selection stuff pop up. Mm. So there's no loop. You're there's saying no loop. There, uh, the loop. That's my problem. The loop is a patented thing, I believe. So that's my problem. Yeah. I think my problem is not having the the pre-selection stage of moving around before selecting. Yeah, you don't get okay, that. Okay, like... Yeah, I, I get it. Like, I get it how it works. Um, I think this is one of the f those features you have to use Android a lot before getting used to it. Yeah, and I, it took me a long time to get used to it. But when it did, when I did, it didn't feel so weird to me anymore. I think I'm also having issues with the Swift key keyboard because I'm also trying third-party keyboards. They're okay. more customizable on Android, of course. Uh, they can access the microphone. They can access all kinds of things. Uh, the process is actually quite similar to iOS. You go to the settings, you enable the keyboard, and then there's an icon that you can tap to bring up a pop-up. But they're, they feel not exactly as first-class citizens because I think the Google keyboard is a little more stable. I've tried a bunch, and the Google keyboard is definitely more stable and faster, and the animations are better. But they're better than iOS, you know? <laughs> they're way, way better than yeah, iOS. Significantly better. Yes, yeah, so it's sort of in the middle. Now, what's, uh, what's the takeaway, right? I've been thinking about this. Um, I think I've done a, a, I've done a, a good thing in, in this experiment. And I think I, I was right in challenging my own thoughts. And I think I learned a lesson, Mike. Two lessons. One, I should listen to you more often. 
you know, sometimes you're crazy, <laughs> but other times you kind of have a point. Uh-huh. You're like you're like my little English friend. Sometimes crazy, <laughs> but often has a point. I think that more people in the world should take that advice from you that I should just be listened to more often. No, no, don't don't take things to the to the extreme. Man. <laughs> I'm just mean. <laughs> come on. <laughs> Sometimes you're crazy. Yeah. I mean, two iPads? Really? Well, come on. Anyway. We'll see. (laughs) Oh, God. I think the second lesson is I shouldn't follow other people in their blind preconception of things without trying those things firsthand. Especially with technologies changing at such a fast pace you know, developing beliefs just by word of mouth isn't something that I want to do in the future or ever again. The next time, I need to keep myself in check here because the next time that I form an opinion or a thought and I want to share that, but I don't actually have my own personal tangible experience, I should just shut up, you know? And I feel like, I mean, everyone is entitled to their opinion. You're entitled to thinking that Android is ugly, that Apple is God, and that Google is evil. I'm not here to debate that. Uh, It's just um, the way that you practice your opinions that I want to improve myself, you know, uh, in, in this aspect. I want to know what I'm talking about. That's really the point. And I feel like trying Android kind of opened my eyes to the strengths of iOS, the strengths of Android, the weaknesses of iOS, and the things that I really don't like in Android. And I feel like I took, I took many, many things for granted on iOS after having tried Android. I miss stuff like 3D Touch. I miss stuff like proactive shortcuts when you plug in the headphones. And yes, I can replicate that with Tasker and automation, but that's not the point. I do miss some of the default features on iOS. 3D Touch, Safari View Controller, Proactive, even, you know, Control Center, I would say. But I do appreciate the things that on Android are different or better. Document pickers, widgets. And I feel like there's some people who think they're doing Apple a favor by being custom yes man and by by thinking that apple can do no wrong by 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 thinking that apple always do right and there's no better way to do things and i think the apple community as a whole could be better served by more valid criticism you know by by trying different things and see what's better and uh, for many years i feel like i was wrong and I, and i feel like for many years i was i'm just gonna say i feel like for many years personally i was stupid and uh <laughs> and I feel sort of liberated in the feeling of having even slightly more knowledge of what I'm talking about. And, and, and it makes me even more, this is quite the paradox, it makes me even more excited about iOS than ever. Having seen what's going on on the other side of the fence, it makes me, it, it makes me want to go to Apple and say, look guys, you should improve these things in this way. Not because I'm, I want Apple to copy Android, because, but because I'm seeing all the other possibilities that by looking at things with a blindfold, looking at things, you know, with, with, uh, with a sort of Apple glasses, most people don't see. 
You know what I mean? Does it make sense? Is this monologue too, too crazy, Mike? <laughs> it makes perfect sense to me. Um, I am very happy to hear you say all of this stuff because it's the kind of thing that I've been thinking about for a long time, right? Like how yeah, how beneficial it can be to your overall experience if you allow yourself to try other things and not like just blindly kind of push them to the side. And also, as was brought up in the chat room, based on what you were saying about the fact that you should listen to me and that this has been a good experience for you, would you potentially be open to saying that Mike was right? <laughs> Mike was right about trying an Android phone. Perfect. There's benefits to Android. I'm going to say that. So we're in the second year now of Mike was right, is what you're saying. It's taking on a slightly more greenish hue, <laughs> you know, because of Android. But yes, you were right about <laughs> telling me I should try it. Don't, don't, don't do that, Mike. Don't overdo it. I mean, okay, fine. You were right about having Thank to you. try this. And I really do believe, to, con to sum up, I really do believe that people who write about technology, people who podcast about technology, whatever, sometimes try to go out of your comfort zone and to sort of understand what other people think and what other people use. Uh, no matter what you do, if you're a blogger, a podcaster, a news reporter, a designer, a developer, I think it... it and I think maybe you can apply this lesson in life too, if you want to. But going out of your comfort zone and trying different things can inform and improve your primary activity or your yep. primary opinion, you know? And that's something, not just about Android them, because maybe Mike, and I'm, I swear I'm really concluding this, maybe it wasn't really about Android after all. It, it wasn't really about trying a Google phone but it was more about sort of breaking the cycle, doing things differently and sort of seeing what I would be like in a different scenario, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and maybe this is something that I'm doing more often this year. Uh, try to be different and try to understand what I'm like in situations where typically I wouldn't be comfortable. So, you know, try an Android, going to WWC for 10 days almost, you know, that kind of thing. I'm, trying to be, I'm trying to explore so yeah it, it was a good exploration Mike thank you thank you for for the push and thank you for taking us all on this tour this week of mm -hmm. Android I hope that we've been able to uh, give a lot of the experience to people that may have not tried it um, if you're interested in uh, maybe asking some more questions to Federico about his experience, he is on Twitter. He is at Viticci, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. -I. I'm sure he will welcome questions and points about that and any follow-up you may have. Uh, Federico, of course, over, writes over at uh, maxstories.net. Um, I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E, on Twitter. You can find Stephen uh, whenever he decides to return. He is at ISMH, uh, and he also writes at 512pixels.net. Thanks again to our sponsor this week, Casper for helping support the show. Thank you, as always, for listening. And uh, we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Federico. Arrivederci.